Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lola Assembly. Can we give a round of applause for that media team up there, always rocking out the videos and the... A little bit of a control freak, that's why I have the clicker here, because I can make it do what I want when I want. But they do a great job making that happen when they need to. Appreciate you guys up there. And uh, in fact, we don't just have adults up there on the sound and on the media. We also have a, uh, a kid in about fifth grade, and we also have a teenager. And they make all that happen. Just appreciate it. And just want to say for you... Uh, regardless of your age or stage, there's a place for you. God has a purpose for you. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. Uh, recently, I came across a book and had the privilege of hearing somebody speak. And it's the author of this book called What's Next by Chris Hodges. And if you are looking for a good read that just helps you understand why Christianity is relevant for our life and what to do and how to move forward in your faith, this is about as practical as it gets and as enjoyable as a read can be. And so it's available in book, it's available in Kindle, it's available in Audible. Uh, I do a lot of my books via Audible when I'm at the gym or when I'm walking, listen to them or when I'm fixing something. And so however it is you engage it, encourage you to do that. So the concept here is not original with me, but the messages and everything here are, and are connected to and relevant to where we're at as a church. Why do we do what we do? And so whether you're here and you're beginning a journey of faith in Christ for the first time, or you've been in the faith and you've just kind of paused in your momentum and you're kind of like, I just can't move forward or I can't move out of this and I can't move into the next thing. These next few weeks are going to be so relevant and so real. I'd also add to this that for those of you that know people that don't normally go to church or they used to go to church and they don't go to church anymore or they're near you and you just simply invite them out. I'm telling you these next few weeks will be down to earth, relatable and a very good context for you to bring them to and you won't be embarrassed or ashamed and that's it. And so we want to really make Christianity simple for you here. What's the next step? What's the next step? So you kind of walked in here this morning. You're like, what in the world's going on? You know, what are all these footprints all over the carpet? It's to help us understand that no matter where you are in your faith, whether you've been in this thing for 50 years or for five minutes or you've never taken the first step, there's always movement forward in the right direction that God has for you and that he wants for you. And your life is not an accident. It's a purpose. It's a plan. And God has that for you. And he wants you to do it. A Chinese proverb says it like this, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. A friend of mine once said this. He said, the first step, though, is not the one that makes the difference. It's the second one. If I do this, if I just take one step, I've gone nowhere. I've just pivoted, and that's it. Some people just come to Jesus. They say a prayer. I'm forgiven of my sins, and that's as far as their Christian walk ever goes. And they're like, Jesus is my homeboy, and everything's good between me and him. That is not the journey of faith. It's not until the second step happens that you've actually gone somewhere further than where you've started. And God has a whole series of steps for your life, whether you've been in the faith for decades or years or minutes or months, or you're about to start that journey. And we believe that God has a journey for your life. So, you know, I used to uh, hear someone say this. It's, 
I, that they used to say to me this, they'd be like, Paul, you've got destination disease. If you've been around me long enough, I'm always thinking about the next thing. And staff, had, uh, one, one individual once said to me, Pastor Paul, you've got to celebrate your wins more. Because I'm kind of like, I wake up, I set a goal, we achieve it, and then the next day I'm like, all right, we got to get on the next thing, we got to get on the next thing, instead of like saying, whoa, that was awesome, like, woo, you know, we just did something, can we just like celebrate it? And so the staff, the poor staff, everyone go, aw, feel bad for them because I need to get more celebration in my life, so you have permission to come up to me and just say, Pastor Ball, are you celebrating? Are you celebrating? Because we've got so many wins. Look around you here. How many of you remember pews and pink salmon-colored walls and carpet? And like, listen, we're going somewhere. We're getting the physical campus of this place moving forward, plus we're getting $95,000 that has come in the door of this church and out the door of the church, not from me, but from all of us together. And the refugees that you saw on that video clip, we have five other people on that back wall that we support on a regular basis that are leading Muslims to Christ in Europe, in Italy, in uh, Atreya, and all other places. And we believe with all of our heart that the values of God need to be the values of the people of God. And you know that full well, and that's why you're here. And if you have never given to missions, or if you've never given to church, and you kind of think that God pays the light bill, or that Jesus takes care of the heating bill, we encourage you to begin to start to give to make that possible. If this church has blessed you in any way, that you take that step. But I would encourage you to take a further step, and you would say, you know what? I believe that Jesus is the answer for this world, that he is the savior, for a planet filled with sinners, and I want to give to missions. And all of the money that goes into missions goes in this church and back out from this church. And that's the reason why we're making a difference. You're making a difference around the globe. And you know why? Because you've learned as a church how to take steps, and they've been steps of faith. There are people in this church who have done things for God, and there was no way that they could have been done. But they just said, God, you want to get it done, and, and I just, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to step out in faith. And the moment that they put their foot down, what seemed impossible became possible with God. And they've just found that their life is moving forward in joy and in happiness and in hope, and God wants that for all of our lives. It's all about the steps. It's all about the steps. What's your next step? Well, I'm a Christian, I know, but God actually has a next step for your life. Well, I'm a Bible college professor. God still has more steps for your life. I'm a single mom. I don't have time to do anything except step around the kitchen. No, God has steps of hope for your life to sustain you in what you're doing. I'm a businessman. I'm too busy. You know what? God has steps for your life, even in the context of the business where you work. Every single one of us has steps to move forward in maturity and in growth and in hope with Jesus. And that's what these next few weeks are about. But it's not just taking any step. It's taking the right steps. Like the pastor who was in the middle of the pond with one of his church elders and their atheist friend, right? So when they were there... The pastor all of a sudden looked and he said, oh my goodness, I, I forgot to use the restroom. Please forgive me. And he got up out of the boat and he starts walking across the pond. And so now the church elder looks at him a little unmoved, just not even surprised. And he goes back to doing it. But the atheist friend is like, what's going on? 
So then all of a sudden the pastor comes back. He's like, sorry guys, it was gone so long. Thanks. And then all of a sudden the church elder, the leader in the church turns and says, oh, pastor, I forgot. My wife cooked some snacks for us and I left them in the car. Or I'm sorry, as we say up here, I left them in the car. And so he gets up, he gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water and he goes out and the next thing you know, he's coming back with a handful of snacks and he brings those snacks into the boat and, and they're like, oh my goodness. And now the atheist friend that they brought along and uh, took along for the ride there and they're hanging out and they loved him but he just didn't seem to have buy into Jesus and he's looking at him he's like wait a second I don't believe in God but wait a second Jesus walked on water the pastor just did it wait a second this is impossible the 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 the, the elder did it I did this I'm not going to get shown up I'm not going to be the only one that doesn't do this he stands up and he says you know I don't believe in God and you know that I just I believe in faith maybe this is a positive mental attitude thing I'm going to do it if you guys can do it I can do it because there is no God and he gets up and he steps out and he goes right to the bottom of the lake pastor turns to the elder and says wow man we probably should have told him where the rocks were huh (laughs) that's funny (laughs) it's not just that you're taking steps it's that you're taking the right steps in the right place it's not enough that you're moving forward in your life. I remember somebody said I, about David Livingston, probably the thing you know about David Livingston is someone comes up and says, David Livingston, I presume, because he was the only Englishman in the entire continent of Africa, of course. Got it, right. But another thing he said, I will go anywhere provided it be forward. Really? What if it's off of a cliff? It's not just the steps. It's taking the right steps. One of the most beautiful and enchanting moments in my life was not just the birth of my children, but also the first steps of our children. And so I, I just remember seeing, like, they, they did, and, and if you've, you've been, there are some families, by the way, in our church uh, who have kids that are going to be born and start having and taking their first steps, like the Lemoses, the Koreas, the McNeils just had their baby last week, and of course, Ama and Echo have kicked out Kevin, kid number 17, I think it is. And, uh, but all of those babies, there's going to come a moment where they begin to walk and they begin to take their steps. Now, what would it be like if a baby was taking their steps and then the father was, saw the kid, okay, you got this, take your left foot, right foot, and the kid falls down and they're like, man! What's wrong with you? Like, that's child abuse. How do we do it? You got this. And when they fall down, what do we say? Oopsie, right? Oh, it's okay. You, You didn't fall down, Mom. But it's okay. And we encourage them, right? Well, you know what the truth of the matter is? We take our first baby steps in life, but every moment from there forward as a follower of Christ, there are opportunities and moments and movements forward that are new steps for us, and they'll become familiar to us as it goes, but we have a God in heaven who's looking at us, not ready to kick us and say, what's wrong with you? But he's saying, hey, it's okay, you got this. How many of you love the fact that you have a heavenly father who encourages and cheers you on? He doesn't critique, criticize, or kick you. He wants us to take steps. And we believe that the walk of faith is a journey. Serving God is a journey. It's not about the destination. It's really about the journey and moving forward and the companionship of friends and especially God with us. You are not alone in this journey, nor should you isolate yourself and stay alone. And many people, they go through this journey of life and they do their own thing and they're okay and they just have high and buys with people. But when the time that we realize that we need people around us is when life falls apart. 
Build your companionship around you when things are going well because every single one of us will go through a difficult time and we need people around us saying, you've got this, it's okay, I'm praying with you, I believe in you, I'm gonna support you, how can I help you? We need that together. But what does it look like to walk the walk of faith? The first time in the Bible where it talks about walking with God is God walking and it says he walked in the garden in the cool of the day and there's a deep theological concept I'm not gonna unpack here this morning with that, but... Um, God's walking. But the first person we read about who's walking is Enoch. In fact, this is the only thing that it says about Enoch. Enoch walked with God and he was not. In other words, he was no more, for God took him. God bless. Have a good day. What does it look like to walk with God? This doesn't tell us anything about walking with God. The good thing is, is that this phrase starts getting used over and over again, first with God, then with people. And it says this about Noah. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Oh, so walking with God means aiming to walk a righteous life, walking straight in a crooked world. Notice it doesn't say Noah was a perfect man, but Noah was a blameless man because by nature of the path that he chose and the walk and the person he chose to walk with, God, and there weren't a lot of godly people around him to join him in that journey, because of that, it kept him from blame and shame. Oh my goodness, I wish there were moments in my life where I picked up walking with God much sooner. But it's never too late to become the person you should have been, amen? Now when you get to 1 Peter chapter 2, it makes it a little bit clearer what this walk of faith is. I'll read the expanded version, but it's kind of condensed there. It says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. You must follow in his steps. How do I know what it looks like to walk with God? I just need to pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look at the life of Jesus. How do I know what it is to be godly, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad? I look at the life of Jesus and I say, I wanna be like him. You know, there's all kinds of people that are, that are saying all kinds of things about Jesus and what he should do for you and what he can do for you. And uh, I don't know, it, he can make you rich. He, he was fully God. You know what, I'm comforted in the fact that he was fully man because he looks me in the face and he says, Paul, I know what it's like to walk a hard road difficult road. He, Jesus, will take all your problems and pains away, maybe, but it says that I'm called to walk like he walked in to do good, and even if that leads to suffering, I should walk in his steps. I should walk in his steps. You should walk in his steps. What does it look like to walk for God? Walk as Jesus walked. I want to follow, you know, it's kind of interesting that the Bible never says just be like Jesus, but Jesus came up to everybody and said, follow me. And the Apostle Paul, in wisdom, said, hey, follow me, not as I follow in everything, but follow me as I follow Christ. When, when I behave like Christ, I'm giving you an example. I'm giving you a demonstration of what it is to be godly, what it is to do God's work, what it is to move forward with your life. You want to be like Jesus. 
you want to be everything that God wanted you to be, do it. Some people just follow their shadows. You know what the funny thing about it is? Is they follow their own desires. They follow their own dreams. They follow their own direction. They never consult God. Just because it's an opportunity doesn't necessarily mean it's God opportunity. And so people follow their shadow and they go wherever they want. The problem is this, is that it's not leading you with any direction and it's a dark reflection of who you are and it's never intended to lead you. A shadow is meant to follow you. When you put yourself in the place of your direction and you choose everything for you and you follow everything that you want and you know, you know the adage, right? Follow your heart. No, please don't. The Bible says the heart is wicked and without cure, beyond cure, who can know it. God knows it. Don't trust yourself. Trust God. Trust in Jesus. Jesus said, trust God. Trust also in me. Follow the Lord. Don't follow the inklings of your heart. They'll lead to dark places. And you know what's amazing? Is this when we make our desires God's desires, and when we make his values our values, we find that a life fulfilled comes out of doing that instead of doing what we demand, expect, and require for life to be good for us. Am I speaking to the choir here this morning? How about I do it old school? Somebody say amen on that. Amen. <laughs> it's really, why do we exist as a church? So we can sing songs, so we can fix carpets, so we can you know, show videos. No, we exist for four reasons, and I want to give them to you. And those of you that have notes and you want to fill it in, I encourage you to do it right here. Why do we exist? This isn't original with me, but it's one of the best ways I've ever heard it put out. We exist to help people know God. That's what the church is for. That's why God established it, to help people know who God is. We exist to help people find freedom. You hear me say this all the time. If you're confessing to God and you're not getting help and change, it's because forgiveness is found with God, but freedom is found with people in your life saying, how can I help you? How can I help you change? change? How can I help set you free from that? Forgiveness comes from heaven, but freedom comes from people being in our life because nobody's meant to walk alone. Third thing is this, we want to help you discover the reason why God put you here on this earth. The two greatest moments in your life are this, the day you were born. The second greatest one is this, when you understand why you were born. And here's the sad truth. 80% of the people that attend church never really have given much thought to the fact that maybe God has designed them and has a purpose for their life to express it and do it. And so they just kind of go with the flow and never ask, God, do you have something for me? Do you have something for me to do? Is there a way that you've designed me to, to, to make a difference? And believe me, friends, that's exactly what God has called you to do. The pastors of this church are not here to be the pastors, to be the only one that shows up to you in your hour of need in the hospital, to be the only one that shows up and prays for you so that you can be set free, to be the only one that you share your troubles or trials with, to be the ones that go out and do all of the ministry. No, we are symphony coordinators because God has called you according to the way that he has made you to make a difference in the world around you because there's no snowflake the same, there's no fingerprint alike, there's nobody like you and you are not defective, you are designed by God and you are beautiful to him. And might I say you're beautiful to us. The hearts and the lives of people in this church and who you are and what you represent. Yeah, I know some of you are real pain, but um, we love you anyway. That's where I want us to walk this week. In fact, the Bible gave us the great commission. 
Go into all the world. Make disciples. Baptize people. Listen, can I just say this real quick in a sidebar? If you have given your life to Christ and have never gotten water baptized, Jesus commands it. It's not your issue of like, I don't want to get wet. I don't. It's, it, this is what it was done for. It was so that you could make public what you did in your heart privately to let the world know. Can I tell you something? Nobody ever told me about that. My first year in Bible college, my freshman year as a Bible college student, I was at a church and the pastor said, if anybody here has never been baptized, they were doing a baptismal surf. And they say, but you're hearing this and you're seeing this and you want people to know I'm in for Jesus and I've, I'm giving him my sin and I'm going to take up my cross and follow him. And I know that I have a purpose. If that's you, you come forward. And that night I came, I came forward with one other woman that other woman, her name is Debbie Manzo. She's the director of Teen Challenge Ladies Home, who, who Linda Arcan every week goes down and ministers with a house full of addicted ladies, helping them find their journey to get freedom from their addiction, to discover their purpose, and they're making a difference in their life. And I'm here at this church, and I've found freedom. I know God. I've found freedom. I discovered my purpose. I'm making a difference in my life, and God has that same path for you. And it might look completely different to the way it looks for me. Well, Pastor, I'm a really shy person and I hate talking in microphones. That's all right. I love them. I'll do the talking for us. Do you know that God made you introverted and quiet? Well, Pastor, you know what? I'm a really straight shooter and I'm straightforward and whatever. You know what? God made you that way. We know what, Pastor, I, I really like dig, digging deep. And you know what? God made you that way. Did you ever stop to think maybe God designed you not to make a dollar, but to make a difference? You see, you can make a dollar, and that helps. Everybody said, money doesn't buy happiness. Yeah, but it puts some serious down payments on sorrow, doesn't it? Right? I'm not going to deny that. But I'll tell you what, I know lots of people who have lots of dollars and no significance in their life, and they're depressed on a mountain of money. Why? Because life isn't just about that. In fact, you weren't born just to make a dollar. You were born to make a difference. And when you find your purpose, hope rises in your heart and you begin to change the world around you. And maybe that's just simply planting a garden with a group of people in your neighborhood. Maybe it's getting a bunch of moms together with babies who feel like their hair's almost gone because they're pulling it out and they're going crazy and they feel like they're going insane and everybody gets together and says, you know what? We can do this with Jesus. I'm sorry, I just had a tremor from when my children were young and that scream that happens that goes down your spine. <laughs> Support group from new moms. There's a thousand different ways. I had a man come up to me recently, a good friend of mine. He said, Paul, I've been taking apart cars and I'm putting them back together my whole life. I would love to get a group of young men, show them how to fix cars, but then begin to do it on single moms in the church who need car repairs so that we could do that as a blessing for them and mentor these young men. Wouldn't that be cool? You, you won't see me under the car. You'd be hearing words coming out of your pastor's mouth that shouldn't be said in the kingdom of God because I'll be slamming my hand and saying, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> but you have a purpose. And so that's what we're going to break down here over the next few weeks. See, the truth is, is that you have to have something to chase. The question is, is are you chasing the right thing? This is a, an illustration that comes from a pastor at one of the largest churches in America. It's not original to me. Uh, and nor can I just honestly say, since I've been a Christian, I have not been to a dog track. Amen. But 
at the dog track, this is a true story, dog track, there was, they make the rat, if you've ever watched Bugs Bunny, if you've never been to a dog track, but you've watched Bugs Bunny, you've seen it where the rabbit's going around and then the dogs are chasing it. And so one day in, in this race, the bunny blew up, completely blew up, just boom. And all of a sudden it was like the dog stopped because their whole life purpose is to chase the rabbit. Now they never catch the thing. And they never see any of the shares of the gambling or anything like that except in dog food. But they chased the rabbit and the rabbit busted and they had no idea what to do. One of the dogs sat down and just started licking his paws. Another one of the dogs, he turned on the crowd and he starts barking at him. Another one starts chasing his tail and finally a third one jumps over a section of the fence, takes off and was never seen again. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that you and I are much like those dogs when we don't tap into the divine purpose that God's created us for because we all were designed to chase and pursue something. And it's just like the guy on the boat. It's not just that you're doing any steps, but that you're taking the right steps. And it's not that you're just chasing anything, but that you're chasing the design and the plan that God has for your life. Because when you get to the highest building in the earth, when the quake happens... You're going to wish you're on the right top of the, the thing. Some people invest their whole life in ideas and dreams, and then they get to the top, and it's empty because they never had Jesus on the journey with them. Or they continue to do the work of God without the God of the work. God's called us to a full life, to a blessed life. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to break this down. And this is what happens when we're not living out those values that heaven has for us. This is the 21st century. This isn't original to me. This is from a pastor and the author of this book, What's Next. I highly recommend this. I think I put this out before I did in first service, available in all those different formats. But this just brings you back to the basics in such a great way. And uh, you say, Pastor, I don't read. Well, you know what? It's in, available in Audible, too. And I say that because that's a reality for some people in our community. And look at this. Instead of knowing God, people are like, know me. I'm important. And instead of finding freedom, they look for a platform. Oh my goodness. I love and hate Instagram and Facebook all at the same time because I know some of the people, I know some of you, and I read what you post, and it's like you're this incredible person that's all these kinds of different things. And then all of a sudden, when you get up upset at somebody, have you ever watched somebody light someone up on Facebook? My goodness, it's ugly. It's gross. It's like, man... How about we do this as a church? Before we post it, can we pray? Before you hit send, can you just be like, Jesus? But I know there are some people we're really upset with, and every once in a while something's going to slip out, so I won't judge you for that, okay? But, but we should give thought that. But, but people are looking for a platform, whether it's fame or it's fortune or anything like that. And, and, and they're like, let me discover fame. I want to be important and I want to be significant. Couldn't it just be that the fact that you belong to Jesus and that he belongs to you, that that is significance enough? And to be lived, loved by a million people a millimeter thick, I'd rather be loved by a handful of people a mile deep. I would pray that those who know me best love me the most. That's, that's a challenge. Imagine if your life mantra was that I want those who know me best to love and respect me the most. That's a challenge. But I want to know God. And listen, to make a dollar and find out that 
your dollar? Why is it that all of the people like Bill Gates and all these different people, when they make millions and billions of dollars, they turn to philanthropy? You know why? Because the difference was never in the dollar. The difference was in the design of doing things and blessing other people. And I'll tell you what, that's for a temporal reason. What if you knew that everything you did in this life could make a difference for all of eternity? There isn't a bank account that could pay off that kind of significance. That's what God's calling us to. So that's what we're going to walk through here. And so let's start with the first one here. To know God. To know God. I am uh, a former Bible college professor. I still am. Uh, I got more degrees than a thermometer, as someone said once. And um, I remember one time, uh, you know, you, I, I'm, I'm an educated man. Dr. Conway. <laughs> uh, my wife one time, she was like, can we get a refund on all that education? Because it's pretty expensive, right? Uh, and, you know, they have this thing in college circles called regalia. And it used to always crack me up because everybody just looked like a big peacock running through. And everyone's like, look at me, I'm so important. And, you know, now don't get me wrong, I've spent, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars to earn the right to wear this. And then other people go out and they buy their own special suits where they've got red around the, the and, and it's cool, like we would do this every year and it's a good thing, but it's tradition. And so you would do this and you'd walk through. And here's the funny thing is, is that at the end of the day, when it comes to knowing God, we're not just talking about this. We're talking about this. Uh, and I, my suit that I have from college is pretty cool. In fact, when you get your doctoral degree, you get a different hat. You don't look like a table, but you look like a pizza pie guy. It's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. And uh, all of my fellow colleagues and professors kind of get a kick out of this. And we know, like, at the end, we're, you know, the gospel is a simple thing. But God calls some of us to think deep thoughts and to study, to show ourselves approved, and to teach the word of God. And that's our purposes. But you know what the thing is, is through the years of me doing this, I always remained the same person. That is me going at a graduation, and I kept starting like little outbreaks of the waves. So I'd be going through, and everyone would be like, okay, now make sure there's enough space, and you're kind of going like this, and every once in a while I'd be like, and then a whole section would go, woo! And then every once in a while I'd chuck a peace sign to a section of my peeps, and they'd throw it back. And here's the thing, is, is that if God's given you a mind, he wants you to use it. That might be part of your purpose. But if the gospel can't be so simple, a child can't understand it, then we're missing the point here. Knowing God isn't just about intellect. By the way, congratulations on getting accepted to Harvard. We have one of our young adults that got accepted to Harvard. We'll have a party and you can wear your wicked cool garb and we'll just walk around. By the way, the colors at Harvard are wicked awesome. I tried getting in Harvard, access denied. And so that's a huge accomplishment. We're very proud of you. And I'm not knocking intellect, and I'm not lock, knocking studying. But it's not alone the path to knowing God. In fact, the Hebrew concept for knowing God means to know him in your heart. Well, why should I know God? You might be here in church for the first time, and you'd be like, well, yeah, it's cool. I grew up in church, and I get it. Why, you know, know God, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I know God. He's my homeboy. We're close. And, you know. But why know God? Why know God better? Well, first of all, because he knows you. Not only does he know you, he knows you better than anyone else. Not only does he know you're better than anyone else, but here's the trick. He knows you and he actually decides to still love you. 
I'm sorry, I'm just talking to the guys in this place here. God knows who you really are, and he still loves you. Because truth of the matter is, if everybody knew your little quirks and your little dirty little secrets or whatever, they'd be like, yeah, no, it's cool, yep, yeah, we're friends, you know. God, actually, he draws closer to us and says, not only do I love you, but let me help you with those quirks and those sins. I care about you to be the best you that you are. I'm not looking for perfection, I'm looking for what? Direction. God hasn't called us to be perfect, but he knows who we are and he loves us in spite of that. Psalm 139 verses 1 through 3 says this, you search me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my path from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. God knows me completely and better than I do and yet still loves me. Man, that's somebody that I can confide in and trust and care for. And God is worthy of your trust. Why should you get to know God and know him better? Because he knows you better than yourself and he still loves you and wants to bless you. Sins and all, faults and all. It's the story of beauty and the beast and you ain't the beauty. Not only that, I got to get, now. I'm going to leave it on there for a while. Not only that, why should I get to know God and get to know him better? Because not everyone who thinks that they know him really does. In fact, you read it like this in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's kind of an interesting verse because they're close enough to God to call him Lord. But yet they never really knew him, that he's God of love, he's God of forgiveness, he's God of patience, he's God of reboots and second chances. Sometimes the idea of who we think God is is a mistaken identity because we keep just enough distance between him and us to know him from a distance but not let him come close enough because the closer, like Pastor Dylan preached last week, the closer Isaiah got to a holy God and heard the angels say, holy, 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 it only brought out his sinfulness and said, oh my goodness, I'm undone. I'm a, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live with a people with foul mouths. Oh my goodness. And I've seen God. The closer you get to know God, the more it's going to let you understand what's wrong with you that needs to change. But don't be afraid of that because God knows who you are and who you aren't and he loves you and he wants to change that about you. How many of you ever had somebody that was a friend or a family member that just dumped you? I'm done with you. God never does that to us. He's never done with us. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, but some, not, sometimes the idea of who we think God is and who we see him to be isn't really him. That's why we need to be in his word. That's why we need his spirit. That's why we need God's people around us in our life because our perspective is sometimes the wrong perspective. You are not the sole authority to the will of God and the insight of God and the word of God. And I've got enough degrees as a temperature. I'm a wicked smart guy, but I sometimes feel pretty stupid because God is constantly showing me what I think might not be right. And he constantly shows me sometimes when I'm thinking it, it's the right thing at the wrong time. But God comes in and he says, listen, no me, experience me, have a relationship with me. I was downtown Providence years and years ago when I had black hair. My hair was jet black, believe it or not. I swear, I kid you not. Jet, jet black. And somebody came down and they were like, oh my, oh my, yo, it's him. And I go, yep, it's me. They go, that movie you did, Mission Impossible, was awesome. 
They thought I was Tom Cruise. True story, right? True story. Total, total true story. Sometimes we're looking at God from a distance with mistaken identity because we think we know who he is. We think we know what he values and what he cares about and what he tolerates and what he doesn't tolerate. But the truth is, is that we need a relationship with God and we need to know him because not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, are going to make it. Those are people that even cared enough to even say the name of God. I never want to pretend to be an expert in knowing Jesus. And Jesus says this exclusive statement to us in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, there are lots of religions out there that will say, yep, he is the way, but he's one of many. Yep, he is the truth, but you know what? That's my truth, not your truth. Oh, man, you can have a good life in Jesus, but there are lots of ways to have a good life. No, but then he goes on and he says, yeah, and by the way, let me make this exclusive. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only one that makes the exclusive statement that says, you either come through me or you never see the inside of heaven. Can I say this? Regardless of what tradition or what perspective you grew up with church, you do not get to heaven for being a good person. I always... Uh, talk with different people and I say, D do you want to go to heaven? Yeah. Do you think you'll make it? I hope so. You know what? The Bible says that you can know so because God isn't letting good people into heaven. He's letting people that acknowledge that Jesus is a good savior and they are a sinner and he forgives us of our sin and you don't have to be perfect. That's why you need to get to know Jesus, because if you've never given Jesus the chance to be your Savior, and I mean Savior, I don't mean say the prayer and then peace out, and you just kind of take that step, but you never really move forward, you're just pivoting your whole life, and then you just, you never put yourself in a church context, you never get people around your life to find freedom, you never discover your purpose or whatever, you may find yourself standing before God one day and say, Lord, I was there on Christmas and Easter, and I had a couple of years where I had a good run with you, you know, you know me, you, lo you love me, you Jesus is like, I never knew you. I never knew you. Do you know why we need to grow as a church? Do you know why we do what we do every week? Because heaven is real and hell is real. And until those two realities no longer become real, we are going to continue to do more of what we do. We're going to continue to try and reach more people because the Bible says that those that have the Son have life. Those that do not have the Son do not have life. And if you've talked about Jesus and you've come to church with people who serve Jesus, but you've never surrendered to Jesus, you do not have the Son, you do not have life, and you need today to ask him into your life. Because you don't get to heaven because you're nice. You get to heaven because you know that he's a good savior. So what are the next steps for knowing God? I put tons of stuff in there, but, the, but the, at the end of your handout, if you got one, or if you didn't get one, you could grab it. But at the end, we have tons and tons of ways to help you take the steps that'll get you there. But two obvious ones. First of all, you need to pray a prayer of surrender. You need to say, God, I've known about you, and I've admired you, and I've appreciated you, but I've never admitted to you that... I have sin in my life. Just read through the Ten Commandments, and if you can say all clear on any of those ten, you're all set, you're the first perfect human in the universe, but if you can say yes to any of those, you need to look God in the face and say, I'm a sinner, and God doesn't allow sin in his presence, so he sent a Savior, Jesus, that when he died on the cross, he took the blame and the shame for us so that we could have forgiveness because God's not letting perfect people and good people into heaven. He's letting forgiven, surrendered people in there. You need to surrender. And some of you have been holding out on him a real long time. It's time you surrendered. 
Second thing you can do that's a practical step for you is get water baptized. How many of you love, I, I tell you what, let me reword this. I absolutely love the way that we do water baptism because it's not a pastor dipping somebody. It's an entire community dipping somebody. And you're like, well, pastor, how are we going to do water baptism now that we've sealed it off? And where's the cross? The cross is everywhere, all over this building, in the heart and lives of everyone in here. And we will never stop preaching the cross of Jesus. But now we've got a mobile baptism in this end of September, last service, we're going to have it in there. We're going to have Teen Challenge. We're going to ask them if they've got any people they want to get baptized. And this is going to be one off the hook, full lit, full and engaged baptismal service. And it's going to be awesome. But here's the thing. If you've ever given your life to Jesus and you have never been baptized, it's time. It's time. I'm missing first and second service and they're blurring together. But did I talk about Deb Manzo and me getting baptized? Yeah. So listen, here I was in my first year of Bible college. I'd never been water baptized. Some of you are in your 50th year of church. You've never been water baptized. Guess what? It's, a, it's obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, make public what you did in private. And if you have never been water baptized, Jesus is saying, pony up, man. Be, be proud of me. And if you've never done it, now's the time to do it. But not only do we have to know God, and that's a lifelong process, we also need to find freedom. Um, we need to find freedom. Pastor Dylan, come on up here real quick. I mean, like, right on the platform. Yeah. Check it out. I heard you've been talking about my mother. No. Here, just hold that in your hand real quick, and I'm just going to totally chain you up. Oh, oh, poor Dylan. Oh, here, walk over here. Come on, hurry up. All right, okay. All right, here he is. Okay. Now, um, what I'd like you to do when I say go. Pretty skinny, you know. Uh, don't ruin my illustration, Dylan, or you'll be working for another job. All right. All right. Here he is. Let's just pretend that he's not skinny. Hear, I love that. By the way, that was the funniest thing when he said, God is in heaven saying, holy, 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 the angels are. And then he said, God looks at me and says, skinny, skinny, skinny. I turned to someone. I said, that's what he says to me, too. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is whether you're a Christian or not, it's easy to get chained up in habits, hang-ups, all those kind of things. Freedom isn't a once-and-done thing. It's a lifetime thing. And what's amazing to me is, is that I found myself in some of the more difficult bondages in my life after I was a Christian and after I was in ministry than when I was before. I had that set free moment at one point in my life, but I had that other point where I realized that freedom's a process. In fact, the Bible says it like this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, no longer become entangled in the yoke of bondage, which tells me that freedom is going to be something I'm going to need for my entire life. But here's the thing. Some of us, and I always say it like this, we're praying to God, Lord, forgive me, free me, help me. And the problem is, is that you're going vertical with it. Forgiveness is found this way, but freedom is found this way. And the truth of the matter is, is that the reason why we need to be in small groups in this church, why we need to be other than showing up on a Sunday morning and going home, is, and the reason why we're not experiencing real, genuine freedom and accountability is because we're not letting anyone else in our life. And here's the trick of this, is that some of the chains that get thrown on us or we get ourselves in, the truth of the matter is, is the bondage is on us, but nine times out of ten, the key to set us free is in the hands of somebody else. And if I'm never surrounding my life with other people, other Christians, sharing my story and sharing my hurts, 
I'm going to remain like this my entire life. But if I allow, thank you, if I allow, you still got your job. If I allow, if I allow other people in my life, you know, there's great ways for you to find freedom in this church. First of all, our goal and our prayer as we're moving forward is that every single one of you is eventually going to be in a small group. Why? Because you find forgiveness with God, but freedom only comes in community. You can show up here on a Sunday morning and leave every single week and have all kinds of bondage in your life and never have anyone notice it to set you free. Or you can make yourself available to other people. And that's actually what some of us tend to do, right? That's at least what I do. When I'm dealing with something, I don't want anyone dealing with it. I'll work it out, just you and me, Jesus. And that's the problem. You've been trying to work it out with, between you and Jesus for decades. And the whole time, the freedom was in somebody else's pocket. That's why I need people in my life. I have a group of friends that I talk with on a regular basis that can speak into my life encouragement when I'm discouraged, but they also speak into my life and say, you got a problem and I can't keep quiet anymore about it and here's what I need to tell you and why. Because even to this day, I still need freedom. You still need freedom. We need freedom. And that's what this church is about, is finding freedom. And you find it in small groups. It's biblical. It's in the Bible. They didn't just meet Sunday. They met during the week in other people's houses. In fact, if you look at finding freedom and going house to house, Acts 20 says that the Apostle Paul said, well, we taught in public and from house to house. Acts 5.42, these people were hardcore dedicated every day in the temple and house to house. In fact, the fancy Christian word for this, the Greek word is koinonia, which means breaking of bread, which means that you're at my table, we slow it down, I see the real you, and not the projected Facebook that you want me to see. Because you and I, friends, we need freedom. We need God to help us. And doing life together is an important thing. James says it like this, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, not confess your sins to a priest, confess them to one another. Why? Because if somebody is next to you in their life and you're sharing your struggle, they're going to come alongside and help you with that struggle. Amen? Not only that, but Galatians says that you shouldn't have to carry your burden alone. You know how many Christians contemplate suicide? Do you know how many Christians struggle with depression? Do you know how many Christians are in that state because they don't have anyone in their life? The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You need people in your life. That's how we find freedom. That's how we find freedom. That's how God helps us. That's how God moves us forward. Tons of ways that you can find freedom in this church. Can I just make an announcement here? One of the greatest things that I really believe that God is doing right now in our church, one of the places where I feel like when I show up, oh my goodness, the presence of God is, are at these nights of worship that we've been doing once a month. And we have one more this coming Wednesday, starting at 6.30, with childcare. Please do not blitz through a Netflix Please do not stay home and fight with your sister or your wife. Please do not half take up overtime and work. Bring yourself here. Man, it is amazing. Where the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. If you've never been to one of these, you need to come to one. And if you show up it and you're like, I hate it, don't ever come back again. I'm telling you right now, you show up at one of those, you're like, I'm never going to miss one of these again. It is completely different to whatever we do. It is a place where God's offering freedom. I would also say we have professional counselors available to you at dirt cheap pricing and if you have knots in your life and problems you need to call that number and you can go on the website 
We have a new section that says next steps, financial pieces under that now, but Christian counseling is under that. You need to pick up the phone and say, can I come in and talk to somebody? You know what? Not just to talk to somebody because you're depressed, but you can come in and talk to somebody because you're struggling to find purpose. Your marriage is struggling. You know how many of these people come in and they call the counselor and then we refer them to an expert in that field that happens all the time? It's completely confidential and it is necessary. And just like finding freedom, you need other people around you. Sometimes you need experts to help you find freedom. I believe in the power of Jesus Christ. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, but I also believe that our minds can be powerful and keep us trapped. And God uses these people with scripture and with their expertise to help us find freedom. Tons of opportunities. Not only that, God also finds, calls us to find purpose. Purpose. Two greatest days of your life. The first is this, the day you're born. The second one is this, the reason you discover why. There's no fingerprint the same. There's no snowflake alike. There's nobody like you. You are not an accident. You're not defective. You're designed. And God put you in this world. He is not calling you if you're an introvert to become an extrovert. He is not calling you if you are an intellect to become somebody that just is not is going at issues from the heart instead of the head. He's made you the way you are for a reason. He's put people around you in your place of work, in your home, in your family, so that you can show the world who Jesus looks like by being a resentment a resemblance of him by following in his steps and being who it is. And you will totally change the world around you if you allow him to do it. If you look at a couple of verses here, Jeremiah 1.5, God says, before I formed you, I knew you. That's that know that I experienced you intimately. I know who you are and I know who you aren't. I know your sins and failures and I know your successes and I love you and I want better for your life and more for your life. And if you will yield and surrender to me, I will do more with your life than you ever dreamed possible. And here's the beauty of it, friends, is, is that us by ourselves is not enough. We need a body of believers, a group of people. And the Bible says that God arranged the members in the body as he chose. You're not here by accident. You're not a part of this church by accident, but you are not going to discover the purpose and participate in the plan for God's life if you continue to move through life and through this community by accident, but that you become intentional and allow God to speak into your life. And he says this, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If everybody was a hand, where would walking be? If everybody was an eye, where would hearing be? You're uniquely you for a reason and God put you here for the betterment of this community, not some other place or not the world that you construct, but the one he puts you in. And we want to help you do that. You know, every Sunday at nine o'clock, we teach class called Next, first, second, third, fourth. And then we go back and we repeat it. First, second, third, fourth. If you've been a part of this church, and I don't care if you've been a part of this church for 90 years, Jesus has no tenure, by the way. Jesus has no tenure. We need to keep ourselves alive, fresh, and new. But if you've never been to those classes, you need to attend them. But I'm, I'm mature in Christ. Doesn't matter. We want to help shape you because one of the classes that we do is called Discovering Purpose. It helps you understand how has God shaped you. We give you some really cool tests. Are you introverted? Are you extroverted? Um, what, where do you lean? How could God use you? Uh, I like the concept of getting in shape, S-H-A-P-E. God uses our spiritual gifts. They're gifts that God's given you and he's made you and designed you, but you also have a heart. You know what? Some of you, you see a puppy and you're like, I just want to take it in. Others of you are like, I hate dogs, right? Some of you are like, see somebody crying and you cry with them because you have the gift of empathy. Others of you walk into a chaotic situation and you say, I'm not here to take sides, I'm taking over. But God made you that way. 
You have aptitudes, your personality and your experience, and all of that gets you in shape. Speaking of people in shape, how many of you know Alex Cabrera? He's him and Colleen run 100-mile races, 100-mile. I can't even get to the fridge. They run 100-mile races. It blows my mind. But he's on Facebook. He's always got his shirt off. And I told him, I said, I think I'm going to preach one Sunday with my shirt off, bro. Show everybody I'm in shape. And we're like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> See, God has a purpose for your life. When sailors would navigate the sea, they had compasses. They had a device that would line up the North Star because it's a fixed position. And if you are going through life and Jesus isn't your reference point and Jesus isn't your morals and your values that says this is wrong and it needs to change and this is right and I need to do more of it. If you're not adjusting your course to the moral character of Jesus Christ, the one whose steps we need to follow in, you are adrift. And I'll tell you what, it only takes one degree to ruin your life. There's a plane flying from Korea to the west. And they set, the pilot set it on autopilot and went to sleep back in the 80s. Problem was is that it was off by one degree. And they woke up over Russian airspace and everybody on that plane was killed because they shot it down. Because it was in a place that it never should have been. Because somebody didn't carefully navigate. When we don't allow God to help dial in the purposes of our life with his word, with his spirit, with his presence, and with his people, we can be off course just enough to get us in a whole lot of trouble. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back, and I want to close with a verse, this last concept, and a story. But let me say this. You're like, what are my next steps? Get next. Get next. What is my next step to finding freedom or knowing God better? Get in a small group. Get in a small group. We've got tons of small groups doing all kinds of things. We have a group that goes downtown and feeds the homeless and prays for them. we got a group that goes canoeing. we got a group of people that are cooking. we got a group of ladies that are chilling. We had a group of guys over my house, and we just connected and had real time. And everybody was like, man, this was real. I need more of this in my life. We're, we are praying about starting groups for married couples. That you do something fun. It doesn't have to be a Bible study, but that a group of couples are like, let's get together and let's just remember that everybody's got flaws and everybody needs fun and we're going to go out. I was looking at something. I was like, man, next summer we're going to go sailing out in Boston Bay. 30 bucks a person. You can just go as a couple. We're going we're gonna to hang out. You know what I'd love to do? I'd love to do just a good connection with married couples and do a costume party. Nobody comes as Freddy Krueger though. Okay? Because we just have fun. But you know what we'll do while we're there? We'll pause. We'll pray. We'll read God's word. And we'll encourage one another. We've got tons of young moms with new babies. Do you remember what that was like, girls? Your hair and your heart is in shambles. And you don't know what normal is. And you want the best for your kid. And you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. And some of you moms are like, I'm on kid number two, three, and four. And you're able to speak authority into their life and be like, it's okay if your kitchen is a mess. It's okay if you're not the perfect mom or wife. This is a lot. And I want you to know you can call me 
I want to encourage you. In fact, hey, girls, you're not alone. Imagine if there were a group of girls. Imagine if we had a group of guys that are right in the middle of midlife crisis. Midlife crisis is real to remind you that you are not defective and your life isn't a washout. God has a purpose for you. You're designed and you're not alone, brother. You're not alone. Because everybody needs to take everything that they have and make a difference. Isaiah says it like this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. It was personal. It was personal. God has called me what? To proclaim the good news to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom to the captives. To release from darkness the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the Lord's vengeance. It's not all puppy skittles, rainbows, and good news to comfort those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. They're solid people. A person who knows God, is finding freedom on an ongoing basis, who discovers their purpose, is a force to be reckoned with, and they are oaks. They are steady. The storms never crack or break them. The lightning doesn't cause a branch to fall. And here's what they do. They're the planning of the Lord and all of his displendor. Everybody looks at them and says, oh my goodness, they don't say what a great person. They say, oh my goodness, what a great God. That person is so solid. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities and have devastated, been devastated for generations. You're a renovator. You come into something that is in decline and a mess, whether it's a marriage or a friendship or a person's life. And every time you go, you enter into death and behind you, life springs up. That's why we have to discover purpose and make a difference with our life. That's why God hasn't called you to know you, to find fame, to discover a platform and make a dollar. Don't make a dollar, make a dollar, but make a difference. You were called to so much more, church. So much more. True story. Years ago when I was in the inner city of Providence, we were doing a thing called Sidewalk Sunday School. And we had a friend of ours in New York City that was like the father of it. And he talked about how one day this mom who had a four-year-old daughter walked out as the snow began to fall. Sorry for saying that word here. Winter. I said it. As the snow fell, she just kind of said her daughter, said, goodbye, baby. Wait here, mom. Mom's wait here stay here she walked out the door as the snow was falling it was just enough to leave footprints in the snow that little girl was home four years old unsupervised what is she going to do she's going to follow her mom so she opens the door and she walks out and she sees her mom's footsteps and so as a little game true story she just kind of jumps in each of her mom's steps until she took the last one off of the Brooklyn Bridge and fell to her death. It's not enough that you're moving forward in your life. And it's not enough that you're taking steps. They have to be eternal steps that matter and make a difference because God didn't call you in here to build your little self-centered, selfish little world to make a dollar. He put you in this world to make a difference through you in the lives of people who don't know who he is. He wants to show the world who he is through you. Well, I'm introverted. You know what? God is too. 
Well, I'm extroverted. I'm outspoken. God is too. You know what? I'm artistic. So is he. He created the universe and every color and everything that you see. You are not a mistake. There is no fingerprint the same. There is no snowflake alike. You are not a defective accident. You are designed by God, but you cannot find purpose by following your self-centered shadow and making all the rules and plans and goals for your life. But you need to constantly come before the God of the universe and say, God, not my will, your will be done. How do you want to honor yourself through me? How do you want to change the world through me? How do I speak to my uncle and my aunt who are out of their mind and don't know you? But God, if you just give me a window and you just help me be me and help me show the love of God, Lord, you can make a difference. You can save them. You know what, church? God looks at us and he's saying, my daughter's lost, my son's lost then I need you. And you're okay with that? You just want to sit and be quiet and just say, well, well, you know, God will work it out. God will reach him. I'll pray for him. No, God wants to use you. You were called for so much more. But right now, the journey starts with the first step. It's knowing God. I'd ask if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray here this morning for that first step. There's some of you, you've grown up around church. You're married to somebody who goes to church. You, as a child, maybe went to church. But you never really surrendered. You never really handed all the shots to heaven. You never really surrendered and said, Oh God, I give up. Forgive me for making my own path. I want to follow the path you have for me. I want to find purpose. I want to make a difference, but it starts with really, really knowing you. I've kept you at a distance. I've misidentified who you are, but if you'll be gentle with me, if you'll be forgiving and kind with me, and he is so forgiving and so kind, friend, doesn't matter how rough or how off your life is, oh my goodness, he loves you so much. And he wants to forgive you. If that's you here today, I'm gonna ask you with every head bowed and every eye closed for you just to lift your hand up and put it down. Say, pray for me, pastor, pray for me all over this room. Second thing is this, you're here. And you do a really good job going to church. But you never really have led anyone close enough into your life to see your quirks and your, your sins. And you've been praying to God for a long time to get free. But no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you want it, no matter how much you hate that thing that's got a hold of you, it just keeps gripping you for decades. And you're saying, oh my goodness, if there was a way to get free from this, I'm here to tell you it's because you've been trying to do it privately with God and you need to do it discreetly with people of trust. You need to be in a small group. You need to find freedom with other people. If that's you here today and you're like, Pastor, pray for me. I need God to bring the right people around my life so that I can begin to feel safe to share my burdens and to share my struggles that's you. Raise your hand and put it down real quick. Thank you for your honesty before God. Thank you. And then there are others of you here. You know the Lord. You love him. And you got a good thing going on with freedom and, and you got people in your life and you, you got a spouse that calls you on the carpet. You know you're not perfect. You're comfortable in your own skin, but you're just going through life and you never, like 80% of the church, ever ask God, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want to do through me? 
See, because I believe when you find the purpose of your life that God intended for it, you find hope. And when you find hope, you find courage. And when you find courage in amazing ways, you make differences in ways you never even imagined. No, you're not going to become a pastor, but my goodness, you might actually have an incredible business. I know a man, his name is David Green. He knew how to be a good businessman, but he also knew how to be a good Christian. And right now he's one of the top billionaires in the world and he's sharing the gospel. He's empowered more ministries than you and I could ever think up. But that was his design. God's not calling you to be a pastor, no. But he's calling you to be a reflection to this world of him in the context he's put you. If that's you and you're saying, listen, I love God and and I know I'm not perfect, but I never really paused and said, God, what do you have me here for? And, And And you don't even know where to begin, but you're saying, Pastor, I want to begin that journey. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just lift your hand up and put it down. Thank you. Thank you. Stand with me this morning. I'd like to pray a prayer over you. I'd like to invite you, if you would like someone to pray with you, or just simply for you to pray with God, you can hear. But I, I want us all to join in and just glorify God with one last song briefly. And as we go our way, as we step out of this building, my encouragement to you is this. These next four weeks are going to be about as easy as it gets for you to bring someone to church without you saying, oh my goodness, Sister Tambourine's not going to be banging that tambourine and and -and so-and-so is not going to be doing this and saying that and like, "Eh, I don't know if I get... This is going to be as down-to-earth and straightforward, step-by-step, simple for the gospel. If you've been thinking about bringing someone to church, now's the time these next four weeks now's the time and if you've been thinking about God how do I get to the next level in my life now's the time to take those steps all over that page at the bottom of that page are a thousand different ways you need a counselor you call it's confidential you know what every single one of you in this place needs to go to that 9 a.m. session with Pastor Dylan of next to at least start the journey wherever it is God wants to help you he loves you he's not angry at you he's not embarrassed of you he's not disappointed with you he's in love with you And he's going to help you on whatever level that you raised your hand for this morning here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your people. And I thank you that, Lord, we might be really good sinners, but you are such a good Savior. And God, you know us, and yet you still choose to love us. Father, I pray for your people here this morning that they would have hope begin to kindle in their heart. That, Father, for anyone that asked you to come into their life, Lord, that they would begin a journey that would go for all of the days and they would find the deepest satisfaction and blessing because they allowed you to be Lord and they surrendered their rights from it. Jesus, I pray for everyone seeking freedom and looking for purpose that these next few weeks that you'd bring it. We give you all the glory and all the honor and the praise. In Christ's name, amen and amen. God bless you as we sing. God bless you as you go.